get naked. Episode two of the teeny soads. Ready oh, to get into it. Welcome <laughs> back. Yeah, we're recording these all at once. You wouldn't know it from listening to us, but you can see that we're wearing Where's the same things. Here, should I change? I'll change my hair. I took my sweater off. So you shouldn't have told them. Kind of <laughs> looks like I'm naked. Whoa, whoa. I need those likes. Yes. We could we could do that if we're really bored. <laughs> I mean, if society's gonna crumble, let's let's get naked. I'm not done with my wine yet. We're getting there. Um, so for those of you just checking in, what a wild time to do so. But I'm Sam and this is Allie. I'm Allie. This is Sam. We're so glad to be here with you. Um, and we've decided during this trying time, um, before we record our hundredth episode, which was supposed to be coming to you on Monday. It, it will not be now. Um, we will be recording teeny sods, quarantine sods. Um, we're both social distancing, which um, if you can, you should be too. Um, just trying to keep our community safe, um, but still here to bring you whatever this is ourselves. We're here. We're here for you, whether you want us or not. Yeah, and I'm sure you don't. No, but um but here we are. <laughs> and I'm coming at you still live from my childhood bedroom. You can see my canopy bed. That's right nice. And I wanted a canopy bed. That's really nice. I know. My mom also always wanted a canopy bed. So when I asked for one, she like remembered her mom saying no and was like, yeah, you can have whatever the fuck you want. So <laughs> thanks mom. Um, and you have your Tatooine posters and the Hawk poster. Behind yeah. There. And there's a third one. Awesome. Endor's here too. Endor's over there. And then over love here, lightsabers. Nerd corner. This I love it. Nerd corner. I love great. it. It's a great nerd apartment. <laughs> Very tasteful. Um, but yeah, so today our topic is worst movies. The worst. What's the worst movie? Um, I'm going to go first. Mine's a controversial take. This is this is a this is a hot ass super take. super controversial take, mm -hmm. and at first you're gonna think you get it, and you don't. Yeah. You don't get it. You don't understand where I'm going with this, so don't even try. Mm -hmm. Um, but so my uh, what I'm saying is the worst movie ever is Five Hundred Days of Summer. Hot take alert. Hot take alert. I'm gonna tell you why. And so I had to think a lot about like what what does this question mean? Like what's a really bad movie? Like what's the worst movie? And I kept thinking about like. I looked at a lot of lists of like worst movies of all time, like worst movies according to critics. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. Like, that's not, I'm not interested in that because I like like shitty horror movies. Mm -hmm. I like all the Disney Channel original movies. Yeah. Our favorite movies to watch together are like A Christmas Kiss and the Lifetime movie about Elizabeth Taylor, Liz and Dick. Oh, so, God. Let's who am I to claim taste? Allie, this is, this is, Let's watch Liz and Dick again while we're quarantined. Yeah, I really, I think we should do that. I think we absolutely we should. We should do that on the, like, the Netflix chat, the Netflix party. But yeah, I settled. I ended up settling at, for the worst movie, what I think is the worst movie on 500 Days of Summer. And, and uh, I think it's because that to me is the greatest net negative movie-wise. It's not the worst film like on, I'm gonna sneeze. 
Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, excuse me. You're excuse I'll cover. Oh my god, it's Corona. I can't. I can't yeah. be doing this. Make sure you Clorox your computer after this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was bad. We can't edit it out. We're not editing this. No, we don't know how to edit video. We barely know how to edit audio. <laughs> it was bad. Um, it's okay. It's I'm okay. Uh, so yeah, it's. I think it's the god. It's had the worst impact on the world, movie wise, and I'm gonna explain why. So. When I watched it originally, in probably like 2011, it came out in 2009, I probably watched it a few years after that. I liked it. I don't remember why I liked it. I think it was like, it was 2009, and um, I wanted to be like a hipster goddess, like Zoe Deschanel. I liked her, and I wanted to be like quirky and cute, and I wanted Joseph Gordon-Levitt to be like unhealthily obsessed with me. Um, those were the times. Like, I can't, yeah. I can't fight it. Um, so it's like when America was starting to like really embrace like hipster culture. Is that a thing? Not really. White people culture. That's always been a thing. It felt like a thing at the time. Felt like a thing. Um, so for those of you who have not seen this film, let me explain it. Boy meets girl. Boy and girl meet at work. Um, they start flirting. She says she's not looking for anything serious. And he's like, totes, babe. I totally get it. They date for a really long time. He's super into her, thinks he's in love with her. And then things start souring and he doesn't really understand why. She breaks up with him. He's super depressed and is like, what the hell? Like, we've been together for so long. Like, what's going on? And then he's really sad and like blames her for it. But then they see each other at the wedding of like a coworker and they have like a fun time together, like hanging out. And so he thinks that they're like gonna get back together and she's like, hey, come over to this party at my place because it was nice to catch up with you. And then at that party, he sees that she's engaged and he's like heartbroken. And he's like, how could she do this to me? Like she's stringing me along. Like I was in love with her, like what was gonna happen? And so at the end, they're like on a park bench and they're having this like final conversation. He's like, I don't understand. Like how can you be somebody's wife if you didn't even want to be somebody's girlfriend? And she's like, basically, like, I didn't want to be your anything. <laughs> like, I wasn't sure about anything with you, but I was sure about things with him. So it was like all or nothing, basically. And he's like, oh, I guess I was wrong about true love. And she's like, no, what I'm saying is you were literally right about true love, but just not right about me. And so then he's kind of like, okay. And then the last scene is he's at like a doctor's office or some kind of office setting and he meets a girl and asks her out for coffee and she's like, no. And then she changes her mind and is like, oh, you know what? Like, fine, I'll go with you. Um, and then he's like, what's your name? She's like, my name's Autumn. And it's like, okay, he's going to repeat this whole thing again. Like a girl's going to be kind of not that into him, but he's just going to get invested like again. Um, so, oh, it's, a, it's a ride. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, so that all should speak for itself. Like, that's the plot of the movie. Yes. Um, a non-rom-com, basically just about this guy going through this breakup and, like, kind of trying to piece through his failed relationship. Um, but so here's the thing, is the concept of the movie is actually brilliant, it's a brilliant film and nobody, nobody, somebody, 
something happened. <laughs> something happened along the way where it wasn't able to be brilliant. Um, it does an excellent job in reality, like in real life, it does this excellent job of showing this, tr like this structure of how hipster, like narcissistic men obsess over women and idealize them without actually taking their wants or needs into account and then villainize them when what they said doesn't match up with what they wanted them to say. Mm -hmm. You know, they say like, I'm not really looking for anything serious, but then they're like, but you were giving all these vibes. Like it's just this, they're constructing this narrative. And when the woman doesn't fit into the narrative anymore, it's not fair. And we see this with like the girl at the end of the movie of like, it, <laughs> like, I think that's the thing is like, a lot of people were like, oh, like, that's the whole thing is like, he's, he's going to like get wronged again. But it's like the end of the movie is kind of showing like, he's just signing up for it again. He hasn't really learned anything. Mm -hmm. He just is in love with the idea of women rather than these, the actual women themselves. And that's a problem. And I think the film did a good job of, well, I didn't do a good enough job, but I think they do a really good job in earnest of showing the way that that happens and why it's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really awesome. Like, because that's a real thing for sure. And I think it was really cool of them to make a movie about that. And it's funny because in, in um, interviews and stuff, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who plays Tom, the guy, is very much like, Tom sucks. Like, <laughs> no, you're not supposed to like him. Like, you're not supposed to empathize with him. Like, you could see yourself in him and be like, oh, yeah, I've done that. That's shitty. But, like, he is not a hero, for sure. He is really fucking up. Like, he's, like, he's, like, what's the, what's the thing where the guy fucks his mom? Oh, Oedipus. Oedipus. It's his, like, Oedipal flaw. Yeah. But it's not that bad. As bad as Oedipus. That's bad. The Oedipus had a really bad one. That's a bad one. I mean, Oedipus's was not fully his fault, but... Yeah. But I think one of the reasons it was not popular for the reasons it should have been is because it, again, was released in 2009, ahead of its time. People were not having these nuanced conversations about gender roles and politics they in the same way. It wasn't happening. We weren't having that soft boy conversation. We weren't talking about that nice guy incel trope. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as much in the forefront, but it was definitely there. Um, and I think it ended up really taking off with these guys and these sensitive circles who were like, oh, I'm always Tom. Like Tom can't catch a break. That's what this movie is about. It's about the Toms out there. And as I said, JGL was like, that's not the truth. You can't think that way. Um, but yeah, I think people loved it because they took it like so seriously. And it began this like totem for like unlikable guys to be like, girls just like, toy with your emotions and they say one thing and they mean the other thing when in reality the movie's like they say one thing and maybe that's the thing that they mean mm -hmm. you know and it's not their fault if you don't believe them so I think and the other thing is like there's no such such thing as fairness or owing when it comes to love and relationships like you either want to both be together or you don't and it sucks if somebody if you love somebody and they don't love you back but it's not unfair and I think that's the thing is Tom's under the impression that it's not fair. And the movie's kind of like, it sucks, but it's not unfair. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's like a misogynist mentality that leads to sexism and violence against women. And I do think the movie was trying to own that and like trying to make a statement about how men look at women as an extension of their own story 
rather than looking at a woman and saying she has her own story that's separate from mine. You know what I mean? We have two different stories. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I've seen that so many times, even with guys I really love, like good friends of mine, they've done this. They've like idealized and been this guy and it's so shitty and they're so much better off clocking that behavior. And this movie tried really hard to show that, but unfortunately men don't understand nuance and men in 2009 definitely don't understand nuance, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it just never, like, the, the right message never reached the mainstream. So I think, like, the combination of it does this thing so well, but it's taken wrong, so it does the wrong thing really well, yeah. and it had this potential that was totally squandered, and, like, you can't have, and now I feel like there's no way to have a productive conversation about this movie because people, and I hate being the person who's like, you don't get it, but, like, there's such a fundamental misunderstanding about the movie itself mm -hmm. that I feel like it's just, like, become this shitty, shitty thing, total net negative now, which is such a bummer because I think it had so much potential, and we do need a movie like that, and and that's all I have to say about that, but I will say a different message, but there is a movie that recently came out that has to do with the way men are conditioned to be shitty to women in ways that they deem as socially acceptable and gets more into like the gaslighting side of things, which, which 500 Days of Summer doesn't really deal with, mm -hmm. but kind of gets into how in our social sort of scripts, um, sexism and manipulation are written into the way that men and women communicate with each other, especially specifically men towards women. And that is Midsummer. I think that Midsummer did that exceptionally well. Interesting. So, I still have to see this movie. You have to see it. We can watch it together, but that's, then I can't, you can't like snuggle into my arms on the scary parts and I can't be like, it's okay. Maybe I can be, I'll watch it with Adam on the couch, but I'll just put like a picture of your face. Take the iPad to Adam's face. Yeah. And then. And then I'll be there. Yeah. And he can just kind of like pat you on the head. That's all I need. I'll be like the rat in Ratatouille, like pulling his hair <laughs> to kind of, so we can watch films together. I mean, we might get to that point. We really might. We really might. And I know he'd, he'd be willing to be ratatouille if it was what I needed. I think he would. Yeah. I think he would. But, um, so that's me. That's what I think is the worst <laughs> Yeah, all time. I didn't pick like a um a, a racist documentary or like you know something that was on this list. I decided to talk about something that emboldened um narcissistic men in 2010. So and I feel good about that choice. Yeah, I think you should. I think you should feel really confident about that. I feel really confident about it. But Sam, uh I don't know what you're gonna talk about. So what are you gonna talk about? What yeah. do you think is the worst movie ever? Okay. So here's the thing. I have two answers for this because my real, true, in my heart and in the real world answer is The Last Airbender. But I've already you already talked about this. I knew that was going to be yours. I knew you were going to say that. You're going to be like, I've already done a full segment on the <laughs> one that I think it is. So, it, so go and listen to that episode. There's been a million like YouTube video essays about like the different aspects of it that were so bad. Please watch those. Just Right has a really good one. Plenty of content out there for you folks. Um, plenty. So today I'm going to talk about something else, which is a movie that um, just had zero, Was it, it's a magical premise that then has zero magic or joy, uh, and it's just a slog to the finish, that I watched <laughs> either like 
on a plane or when I was homesick one day. Like, I, I genuinely don't know when exactly I watched this movie. I rewatched most of it today just to, like, remember. Because I was reading it and I was like, is this what fucking happens in this movie? And it is. So what I'm going to do is just read the Wikipedia plot synopsis. But the movie is called Winter's Tale. Um, and you might be thinking of um, A Winter's Tale, which is a very famous Shakespearean play. Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with that. Okay. It's not related in any way. Maybe that's why I watched it. Maybe I thought it had something to do with... Again, I do not remember how I came across this. sort of tangential way, yeah. like The Lion King and Hamlet. Yeah, I think maybe I thought that there was something. No, it doesn't no. do that. It's based on a book, I guess. It's got 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it starts in 1895. Uh, a young immigrant is refused entry into Manhattan because they have consumption. Uh, but also they have a baby and they're like, can the baby stay? And the, the people at Ellis Island are like, no. <laughs> so then they're on their boat. They're um, seemingly Russian. Um, they're on their boat trying to leave and they find like a miniature model of the boat and the boat is named City of Justice. So they put the baby in the miniature boat and they drop it. They do not float it over to Ellis Island. Float it over to Manhattan. But they are like pretty far away from shore, but it works. <laughs> Somehow it works. And that baby grows up to be Colin Farrell. Uh, and his name- Oh, of course it does. His name is Peter Lake. Uh, and he's just grown up uh, like an orphan in Manhattan. It's 1916 now. Um, and he's like a thief. Um, and he works for a demon who's posing as a gangster named Pearly Soames. And Wait. that's Russell Crowe. <laughs> oh, I can, I can feel how bad Russell Crowe is in this- in this character. They, both of them, Peter Lake and Pearly Soames, have the thickest Irish accents you could ever imagine. But he <laughs> was orphaned in America. In America from Russian parents. So that's so, confusing. I don't know how he got that. But so Peter's working for this demon and the movie kind of opens on him where he decides not to maybe be working for Pearly anymore. And then Pearly's like, great, we're going to murder you. So all of the gang is like chasing him and he's like, yeah, so. them. and they almost catch him, but he turns and he sees a white horse and he's like, horse. He only refers to it as horse throughout the movie. He's like, horse, horse, uh, I, we got to go. He's never met the horse before, but he's confident he's going to be able to get on the horse. And he's right because the horse like bows to him and he gets on the horse and then the horse sprouts wings of light Wait. and it flies away from them. And that's the first five minutes of the movie. Wait, what? I thought that the baby thing with the tiny ship was the first five minutes. Yeah, no, that takes less than five minutes. Like the, this entire sequence goes like, and you're just like, oh. horse with wings. All right. I'm and at already this point, tired. you fully know that Russell Crowe is a demon. You just think he's maybe like an Irish gangster type guy. So this is like the first magical kind of thing to happen. So then Peter, um, Colin Farrell, Peter Lake, uh, he's like, okay, I got to get out of the city for a few months until Pearly doesn't want to kill me anymore. Um, so if you like, have a, a, wi a winged horse, just go anywhere else. Absolutely. Just go anywhere else. Absolutely true. So he, he's like, I'm going to steal a couple more things and then I'm going to go. And the horse like stops in front of this one house. And Peter Lake is like, horse, we got to keep moving. And the horse is like, no, he doesn't speak, but he is a magic horse. So Peter's like, okay, fine. I'll go into this house and I'll rob it. And who is there in the house? But the a woman. A woman. Jessica Brown Finley, who is uh, Lady Sybil. <gasps> <laughs> I'm in. 
Yes. But she, um, we've, we've seen like clips of her throughout the opening. So she is like sick. She's ill. She has to be cold. She has a fever. So they have to keep the house very cold. And she sleeps like on the roof in a tent to try to keep her body temperature down. But so he comes in, the house is empty aside from her. He comes in to like steal stuff. She's frantically playing the piano, gorgeous. Her hair is down. And he like squeaks a board and she's like, <gasps> and he's like, oh, they fall in love. They're instantly in love with each other. <laughs> Wait, I'm remembering like posters for this now. Yeah. yeah, they were both in the poster, like looking importantly at each other. Yeah. So they're instantly in love. They sit down for tea. Um, and she's like, I'm dying. And he's like, well, I'm a thief and I got to get out of the city. And she's like, we'll all be dead by the time you come back. And they part. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And they part. Um, so <laughs> then um, this is where it gets kind of weird. So per we go back to Pearly, Russell Crowe. And he, again, is a, is a demon. And so what the demons are trying to do is I just watched this today. They're trying to stop people from having their miracle. And what that means is that every person is born with the potential to do something miraculous for one other, for someone else. So it's like, like if, if, if you, if, if I had a miracle inside me, like it wouldn't be something for me, it would be something for like you and I had to find you and do something miraculous for you. So they meet and Pearly is like, oh no, this girl must be his miracle. So like he's gonna save her from death. And then we don't want that because we're demons and, and the miracles are bad for us. Okay. I think. Sounds so, like a good place. How far into this are we? Not far enough. Oh God. I'll try to I'll try to pass press pass forward. So he's like, we gotta kill this girl before he can do a miracle on her. And mm, so is that what they're calling it now? They, they try to kidnap her. He rolls up before, Peter rolls up before they can and like valiantly saves her again on his winged horse. Um, they fly off to see her dad in upstate New York where they live in like a gorgeous mansion. Um, and then there's like a very bizarre scene between the dad and Peter Lake where the dad's like, I wanna know what your story is. I wanna know if you're a thief. I wanna know your intentions with my daughter and I wanna know it now. And he says it exactly like that. And then Peter's like, I am a thief and I love Beverly, but I have no intentions with her. And he's like, do you know she's dying? And he's like, yeah, but I don't want her to. And the dad's like, yeah. And they're friends now. The dad's fine with it. Oh, like in a walk to remember. <laughs> I guess. It's not really the same plot. <laughs> so meanwhile, here's Pearly and he's so mad, but he can't leave Manhattan. That's a rule, I guess. Wait, who's Peter again? Peter is Colin Farrell. He's the lead. Who's Pearly again? Pearly is Russell Crowe. He's the demon. Got it. Got it. Got it. Keep going. So he's like, I want to get out of Manhattan and I'm not allowed to. So I have to go ask Lucifer, the literal devil, to let me leave Manhattan to go and kill Peter and or his sure. girl. Yeah. I would like you to guess who Lucifer is played by because I know you'll be wrong. Okay. Colin Farrell and um, Russell, Russell Crowe Crow, uh, Kidman is playing. I love that, but no. Um, John C. Riley is playing the devil. I'm telling you, he was in The Lobster. I would, again, love that. Olivia Coleman, also would, in The Lobster, would be a great devil. Would be a great devil. It is Will Smith. <laughs> no, it is not. Will Smith. 
Why? It's Will Smith. He's in two scenes. It's Will Smith. Why would they make that choice? Curly is like, let me get out of here. And at this point, Will Smith says, no. And that's the end of the conversation. All right. Um, so Pearlie's like, I got to do something else. So he gets someone to go to the ball. Of course, there's a ball that night at the upstate New York estate. And they poison um, Jessica Brown Finlay's drink. So it will make her heart race just slightly. But because she has consumption, that could be bad if her heart races and her heat, it gets bad. So they're there. She drinks the champagne that's poisoned. But, you know, she's mostly fine. It only makes her heart race a little. But then that night, she's like, let's fuck. And Peter is like, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And they go up to her roof tent, her tent on the roof, and they fuck, and she dies. <laughs> she- <gasps> no! They, like, roll next to each other, like, smiling in bed, and then she's just, like, dead. <laughs> what? I know. I know. That's it's so cold. He a does wizard's tale. He really does. <gasps> He's heartbroken. Crazy. I know. I love a bold choice, though. It's bold. He's heartbroken. He goes to her funeral, and then he's just like wandering the city with his horse. Um, and Pearly, the demon, finds him, and they, you know, almost get out, but they don't. And he's like, "Horse, go, go, horse, be free!" And the horse flies away because he knows they can't escape. And Pearly takes him and headbutts him like five times, some of the worst fight choreography I've ever seen, and then pushes him off a bridge and is like, "Well, now we're good." But of course, Peter is fine. He just washes up, but his memory is gone. Doesn't have a memory anymore. He got headbutted. That is not how the brain works. Now, a hundred years pass, and Peter has not aged, and he is still wandering around New York without a memory. Wait, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Why has why does he aged? He doesn't why does he age? We, so what we find out is that... <laughs> He was not Jessica Brown Finlay's miracle. Jessica Brown Finlay had a miracle for him. So she gave to him. He loved her so much. She, her miracle was that he would not age or die. What does that have to do with love? He doesn't get to love her. She's dead. No, until he finds his miracle, I guess is the idea. They realize. And he like. What's his one? Okay, so we're getting there. So we're most of the way through the movie at this point. Thank God. I literally feel, I'm vexed right now. I'm like hot, I'm sweating. We're in 2014 and he runs into like a little girl and like some of the things she says kind of like magically reminds him of like some of the things he experienced with Jessica Brown Finlay. And so he starts to remember stuff and he goes to a library because he wants to like look at microfilm and a lady who works there is like, I can take you and look at the microfilm. And we find out that she's the mom of the little girl that he had bumped into um and so they look at the microfilm and of course it's like pictures of him and jessica brown finlay and she's like these are from a hundred years ago how could this be you and he's like it is me in his like thick irish accent he's like tis um and so they're like okay like we're gonna figure this out so he goes to their house that night and he realizes that his miracle was not beverly it's the little girl who is the daughter of the lady he was talking to because she has cancer. So with his miracle, okay. he her cancer, he realizes. But how does he do that? It's a miracle. Great. <laughs> Great. Good. 
Meanwhile, Pearlie has gone back to Will Smith and he's like, Will Smith, I need to be able to leave Manhattan so I can kill this guy. And I will give up my immortality to, to be able to do that. And Will Smith is like, okay. So, and so bitter. Yeah. And so then they go back to the, to the mansion that, she, that he had been at with Jessica Brown Finlay with this little girl. Um, and he has to fight, um, fight Pearlie. He has to fight Russell Crowe, but he wins. And then he like gives the little girl like a kiss on her forehead. And he's like, she's cured of her cancer. Um, and then his horse comes back and he flies it into the sky. And that's the end of A Winter's Tale. To be with, what's her name? Uh, uh, oh God, what was her name? Uh, Beverly. Beverly. So that's why he go, he's able to finally be with her? Yeah, and then the only thing I'd like to add is that like the way I just told it, you might think like, how kooky, like how wild, how, how funny. There's not an ounce of humor. <laughs> or like- oh magic great, huh? in this movie <laughs> like if you told me that neil gaiman wrote that i'd be like i'm totally in yeah and i guess fun. it was a book at first but yeah like if um uh stardust was played straight it'd be fucking stupid yeah this is stardust but it's not it's great and and um what's his name's in it Robert De Niro's in it, and he's fun. Everybody's having a good time. No one had a good time in this movie. Claire Danes is her most likable. I love Claire Danes in that movie. She's really good in that. All right, well, you and I will stream Stardust, but I gotta tell you, like, you have good reasons, like, culturally important reasons for hating 500 Days of Summer. This no, this one, this one's better. It sucked the life out of me, and we can leave it up to <laughs> the viewers. Let, you know, we'll do a Twitter poll. You tell us which is better. Yeah. Yep. Or which is worse. Which is worse. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that took everything I had. Every time you think the movie's going to start making sense, it just, it doesn't. No. No. Oh, well, thank you for your work. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, I I agree with you. That sounds awful. I'm sorry that you went through that. It wasn't good. It's not, it doesn't seem good. Colin Farrell has bad taste in a lot of stuff. Yeah. What are you going to do about that? Nothing. Um, Sam, as I said in our last episode, um, if you are listening to this on your podcatcher, we will also be posting the link to um, the video chat where this took place um, on our Twitter account at I'm Horrified Pod. Please send any suggestions of little um subject jousts that you want us to do um in the coming in the coming weeks because we don't know how long it's going to be but we'll do as many of these for you guys as we can um you can send those to i'm horrified podcast at gmail.com until we see you next please be well be well